Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Eugene. I'm back with a very special guest today, the designer Peter Doe, uh, who, in my opinion, is absolutely one of the most interesting designers working today and uh, kind of almost single-handedly, in my mind, putting New York City back on the map in terms of design. Um, you know, my, um, let's say, issues with New York fashion and New York Fashion Week and New York fashion system are uh, well-documented. And uh, honestly, I've sort of started to give up on it by, by and large until Peter came along and it's been very exciting to watch his developing. So Peter, uh, we are excited for you to be on the podcast. Welcome. Um, thank you so much, Eugene. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about first, um, how you, I just want to talk uh, about your life first, about you growing up, uh, and, what was it like? How did you get into fashion? How did you, uh, what made you realize you want to be a fashion designer? Just a little bit of a bio, I think our listeners would appreciate as well. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in, uh, and I'll give you like the short story, I guess, like the, the quick version, but okay. I grew up in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I moved to Philadelphia when I was 14 years old okay. to, uh, to go to middle school and high school. And then at the time, you know, like the high school, there wasn't much to do, uh, really, you know. So we had, we had this club after school called the Art Club, which I was very involved in. Uh, I was voted to be like the president. I mean, no one was doing anything with the club. So we were just <laughs> trying to find things to do, <laughs> you know, in high school. Back in the day, you know, you just kind of gather um, a bunch of like misfits and outcasts, just sort of like get together after after school and, you know, find things to do. So mm -hmm. there was a teacher, her name was Kelly, and she just joined the school from New York. She just graduated from New York, she came back to Philadelphia. Um, Project Runway was like, was like a thing back in the day where we were all watching it, we were talking about it. Um, we wanted to promote sustainability, like mm -hmm. recycling, all of that stuff for the school because it was getting out of control. So just kind of talk about like recycling and things like that. And we thought we will put on sort of like a runway show using things that we collect, like trash and like plastics and papers and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that's, that's literally what we wanted to do. So my mom bought me a sewing machine from Kmart. It was 20 bucks. Nice. And on the kitchen table, me, my mom was teaching me how to thread a bobbin and uh, put in a zipper and figured out how to make clothes. And that's sort of like how I started to taught myself how to make clothes out of like shower curtain that people donated. I would dye the curtain with like beet juice um, we were still making things out of paper. I made like a dress out of like tissues and cardboard. And it was like, it was like that. That was like my beginning journey of like figuring out how to make 
closed. Um, mm-hmm. And I sort of like fell in love with the process because like after you sort of like create these structures, you have to like put on the, on the, on the body. So we saw having mm-hmm. fittings, we saw like casting my friends from the school. We have, we all have like an open casting where people come and um, <laughs> try things on. <laughs> it was, yeah. But this is before I know anything about the industry. It was just mm-hmm. very innocent. It was sort of like, you know, like we, we have a bunch of material that we want to reuse and repurpose mm-hmm. because we want to show people that you can sort of like reuse things. And, um, and then me and my mom just sort of like learning how to put these things together. I didn't mm-hmm. know how to put on the zipper. So all of the dresses that I made, once you get in, you couldn't get out. So I had to cut people out. <laughs> I had to cut people out of them. <laughs> that was my... Then I learned about, like, you know, closure and zippers, things like that. But that was really, really difficult to, like, teach yourself at the time. There was no, like, YouTube video. Mm-hmm. There was no, like, things like that. So, um, and w- <laughs> but yeah, that was, like, my beginning journey of, like, how I got into fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you were, like, 16, 17? Yeah, I was, I was 15. 15. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then did you decide then to go to school for fashion? Yeah, I think I think once we put on the show, you know, I make 10 looks. Uh-huh. So I sort of have like this, like this. And I feel like when we put on the show, I don't know, something just clicked. You know, I mean, we were, I was doing a lot of like, you know, sculptures and paintings and sketching and things like that. And I think for the first time, I don't know. There's like there's there was like a purpose to the thing that I was making, um, and it made me like really really happy to see like someone was wearing the stuff that I was making, even though it was just like trash. <laughs> it wasn't like functional mm-hmm. in any sense, but it, because something about these items that have a purpose beyond just like you know like a beautiful paintings or like a beautiful sculptures that someone can wear them and use them got me really excited about the medium mm-hmm. that, you know, that I was exploring. So, um, so from that so point on, that, I started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just wanted no. to ask. So is that a human immediate human interaction? Is that what, what drew you? Yeah. The, okay. I think the dialogue of like the, the conversations that we had and the, how it transformed when it was on the human body was, was an interesting turning point. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and then? Then I started researching into it. So I started watching, you know, like McQueen shows. I started with the, mm-hmm. like research deeper into fashion and reading about it and learning about Parsons, FIT and things like that. And I decided to, you know, to explore that options, applying for school um, all over and just see how I can make this a, a reality. Yeah, mm. and and you got into FIT. Was it a Parsons? At first, I didn't really believe that I can make money out of this career, so I, I applied yeah. to Pratt, to Pratt um, under the architecture okay. program because I was like, right. oh, maybe if I want to be creative, maybe that's just like this is like more like a sustainable career path for my parents. Sure, also. sure, sure. Because <laughs> yeah, explaining yeah, to course. my mom I want to be a fashion designer was really difficult at the time. 
Because she well, it's an immigrant <laughs> child, right? Like it's this immigrant child predicament we're all in. Like, um, yeah. mom, I really love this, but I don't know if it's going to be a career. <laughs> no, she was just like, yeah, she was like, I don't know if like, you know, like I came to America for you to be a seamstress. Like that wasn't, that was not what <laughs> right. her, yeah. her plan for me was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Well, <laughs> <laughs> what does she want you to become? Honestly, anything but that. <laughs> anything but a seamstress. <laughs> anything but a seamstress. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, oh like... Oh my a... God. No, but I mean... So sorry, architecture. I, so architecture, so I was like, you know, I'm going to... Maybe I'll just, you know, design buildings. And then she's like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a more... Like, that's like, you you can make money out of that, I guess. Right. Um, and then I applied to that. I got in. I got a big scholarship to go to Pratt. And I think like a few months before we had to go, I had like a change of heart and I emailed the school. <laughs> and I I really wanted to go to the fashion program. So so yeah, I switched I switched major to fashion before I started. And I just went straight uh, to to fashion at Pratt. Uh, in Brooklyn. And what did mom say? <laughs> I think at that, I say? think at that time we weren't speaking about it anymore i think i think oh, it was, okay, okay. i sort of just like kind of went for it like we were it wasn't a discussion i just kind of sort of like just did it and then right. figured out how to tell her later yeah okay um, that's smart bait and switch that's- yeah pretty much i was like i'm going to go become an architect but i'm actually going to fashion classes <laughs> uh no i think that's great and i mean i can certainly relate uh for me, I came to the States when I was 15 and for a Russian speaking Jewish family, as I think like for a lot of Jewish families, it's you either become a, a lawyer, a doctor, or you go to Wall Street. Like yeah. there's like three, three of those. So I, I understand that. Um, but uh, tell, so tell me about your experience at Pratt. Um, so I mean, so I applied, I went to Pratt, and then I, I mean, I had a good experience. My only thing was Pratt was that I felt like I wasn't learning quick enough. Like I wanted to do more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like kind of get mm-hmm. my hands dirty and start making stuff immediately. And we had mm-hmm. a lot of classes, like you know, maybe useful for like color theories and like concepts and things like that. That I really just wanted to make clothes i kind of i was very impatient so um i was you know moving at a different speed and with a different pace and i wanted i don't know i want i I always i'm always somebody who always sort of like question things um so for me like my first thought was like i really want to know if i like this is what i want to do so I, i want to make clothes immediately um, so I decided to switch FIT because mm-hmm. the program, I checked the program there and everything was just sewing classes and pattern making classes and draping classes. Um, so that was the reason why I switched to a different school the year after. Uh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, 
at the time like, that like you, that was my thought yeah. process i was would, I would just like i, did, I really just want <laughs> right, right. to make things right away yeah that's kind yeah of yeah no i i get the temptation though i do think theory is important in history and all that stuff yeah um, we have all we have that too i think that's like sort of like after the first two years of like some making things and the last two years i i got into like this deep dive of like you know there's a a great fashion history class there's a lot of like theory classes mm -hmm. but i think like after the first two years i confirmed that this is what i like to do so mm -hmm. i was pretty okay with it at the end mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. whereas like yeah i don't know i didn't also the city was really intimidating so i feel like pratt was the right choice because it was in brooklyn so when i visited mm -hmm. campus um you know from like a small suburban town I felt yeah. very intimidated by Manhattan. Um, sure. So that was just like my thought process behind all of that too. But then, mm -hmm. you know, like, but then I moved to Brooklyn right after the first year. So I still much prefer um, sort of like a quieter pace. Yeah. 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 No, I get that. And the, I mean, the Pratt campus is quite pretty. No, it's beautiful. It was really, it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> NFIT is not. <laughs> FIT is just as like this this brutalist uh, compound uh, straight out of 1984. <laughs> yeah, well, which I say, personally love. Well, let's just say that I just go to school and I just go home. You know, like there's right, not right, much. Yeah. there's just not much lingering there. But um, yeah, I, I but I, I stay around like Pratt area for a long time. I use. Because when I went to FIT, I got an apartment next to Pratt. So I was still, in, I was still living next to, the, next to Pratt, but we'll go to the city for school. Uh, I see. And what years are we talking about? Just oh, to situate. God. Oh, God. I'm so bad at this. Um, <laughs> I graduated in 2014. I okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so you like, yeah. Okay. So intense. Yeah. And then after graduation, where, uh, where did you end up? So after FIT, so I won the first year of the LVMH, um, graduate prize. That was the first year that okay. they did the LVMH prize. So they had the prize for small brands, but then they also had the, like this special prize where they picked three students from all over the school, like, CSM, FIT, Parsons. Mm -hmm. um, so I won the prize along with two other kids. And we each get to choose where we want to work um, under mm -hmm. the LVMH houses. Basically. Wow. That's a serious, like being a, being just a senior and, and getting that. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, I it can't was, imagine it was how crazy, that felt. It was a crazy experience because, um, I mean, this is, this is what I mean by like, just like kind of sort of like follow your instinct as well. Because at the time, I remember I was making so many looks with the collections, with our thesis. And I think we only had to do like some sketches and like one look. But I really mm -hmm. want to make a full collection. So when it was time for that competition to come around, you had to submit like a full collection. Mm -hmm. Um, so I submitted it early and I guess, you know, I got sort of like one step ahead of other people as well. Mm -hmm. But when I found out that I won the prize, I mean, it was, it was, it was, there was nothing like that before. 
before that time. Yeah, like there was no way for someone from New York to get a job offer at like these French houses. I mean, the just the visa application alone would just <laughs> drive them insane. Sure. So even when I got the job, it took a long time for me to get my visa. Um. Mm. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. I I couldn't believe that happened. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. So, what did you choose, and what were the choices, and what did you choose, and why? I mean, all, all the houses from every image. You know, you can choose so, from like okay, so like Marc Jacob, Kenzo, uh, Vuitton, mm-hmm. uh, Celine, Dior. Oh. Um, I mean, I I, I pick. Uh, Celine, of course, like with Phoebe at the time. Yeah, because Phoebe Philo was there. Yep. Yeah, I uh, knew. I knew that's why. That's why I wanted to go. Um, okay, the, so you were like right away. This is an event. Yeah, the moment I know that I yeah. won, and we had the first conversations, I told them like I really just want to go to Celine. That's like where. Mm-hmm. That's exactly where I want to go, and no one else picked mm-hmm. it. So they're like, "Well, no one else picked wow. this, <laughs> so you can go." So that's how I got the really? job. Really? Yeah. Uh, so you had good taste early on, Peter. <laughs> One could tell. Because <laughs> I feel like that time was such a Celine. This is, was like a small, it wasn't small, but it was this sort of a resurgence of real design. And which in retrospect, okay, I, I'm going to be a bit negative. So which in <laughs> retrospect feels like sort of the last breath, <laughs> sort of the last fight that was put up like on the, on the, on the major scale uh, before it all went to shit <laughs> and became this like merch, uh, merch world we're finding and finding ourselves in. So, but that's cool. And did you feel, so obviously you felt affinity already with with Celine. What did you feel an affinity with your design language already that you were developing at the time, or I were mean, you just? I mean, I relate to the ethos um, because you know, like she was making sort of like there's a there was a balance between there was just enough newness that it's not intimidating but it's familiar enough that for you to feel like I could be, I could like be this, I could vision, envision myself in this or this sort of like, sort of like this lifestyle that she was doing. So for me, um, and also this like sort of like this menswear remake for women, um, there was, mm-hmm. there was no one did, doing that at the time. You know, I discover, I think, Celine from Barney's. I think we would go into Barney's mm-hmm. a lot at the time to sort of mm-hmm. like, I mean, Barney was a, was a thing in New York. Um, everyone oh, went, yeah. that was where you find a lot of inspirations and discover a lot of newness. So as a student, you know, mm-hmm. we all used to like roam around Barney's like hanging out and just like mm-hmm. trying things on. Um, Cause that was yeah. always like amazing product there. So that's where I first, first, like, you know, try my first Celine coat in a way. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. in like 2000, oh God, 2012, maybe. Okay. 12, 13. Yeah yeah. 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 That's cool. I, and yeah, I mean, 
RIP Barneys, but so many of us have discovered, including myself, fell in love with fashion there and because of it. Uh, it's a real shame. And, and I don't think there's been an institution that has picked up that mantle since. Yeah, I don't think there's a place in New York like that now that you can mm-hmm. come and like really discover um, fashion like that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a shame. So anyway, uh, you get to Celine and uh, what, what were you doing there? What were your first duties? What were you working in? Working I, on? I mean, I'm like at the, I'm like the lowest. <laughs> I was like an assistant designer, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I mean, um, I was one of the few only American, you know, in Paris, in the, in the French house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I mean, I didn't speak French. I don't speak French. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So luckily for me, I found a lot of comfort in the atelier, which is where I first experienced this sort of like French atelier that I fell in love with, where people were like really proud to come to work, to be a technician, to be a seamstress, to be a pattern maker. Um, it was a whole different world. That was like, mm-hmm. I did not expect that. I did not experience that before. Um, so right. I make, so like I spent a lot of time in the atelier learning how to like press garment, learning how to do, you know, constructing finishes, that whole process. It was really inspiring to, to just be a, a part of it um, and learn all these things from people that have done this for like 20, 30 years. Um, so there mm-hmm. I met a lot of, a few um, Vietnamese seamstresses who helped me like, okay. sort of, like, translate, um, things like that. So I learned a lot from them. So I got, I got mm-hmm. lucky because we, we, there was a lot of Vietnamese people living in Paris. Right. So right, right. a lot of them work in the atelier. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of like how um, I learned a lot of the things there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's uh, the, the unsung heroes, right? Of yeah. that whole world. Yeah. That was my favorite stresses. part. The atelier was my mm. favorite part about the whole experience. Yeah. And uh, how were you interacting with Phoebe like often or was it she was she like floating in ether somewhere above everyone? No, I mean, Phoebe, I mean, she's super busy. I mean, there's like dedicated Mm. times and place for us. We have fittings um, every week in in London. So we were just traveling between Paris and London. so yeah, so we just see her when we have fittings mostly, because there's like oh, okay. she just see you when she, you know when you it's like your part basically, and then also, and then before the show, I guess we have um, we spend a lot of time uh, kind of prepping for the show, but you know mm-hmm. I'm I was I'm a I was a very small part in the Celine story you know history, so mm-hmm. I I came and I contribute my part and. Um, and I left. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. how uh, how long were you there? I was there for three years. For three years. Okay. Well, that sounds like a really good school. Cool. It was an amazing school. Well, yeah. 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 What What would you say? Like, what were? Of course, besides knowing how to make clothes and seeing sort of this level of craftsmanship, uh, and. I don't know, maybe realizing like, oh, that's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
is there anything else that you took away from your experience there? I mean, I mean a lot, right? I mean, I can't really condense into um, like one sitting, but I feel like for me, I have never, I, without going through this, like I get boot camp. Um, it wouldn't mm -hmm. make me the designer that I am today because there's no way that a kid grew up in Vietnam, you know, um, that could like experience this sort of like one of the highest level of craftsmanship that you can think mm -hmm. of, you know, in this beautiful, I know there's just so much history. Um, and there's sure. just, just yeah. the specific way that people were doing things that, I was just absorbing as much as I can, you know, what, what to do and mm -hmm. also what not to do as well. Because for me, it's also mm -hmm. like kind of like seeing what's out there and experience all these things and absorb. But you had to also figure out what works for you um, and not just sort of like blindly just kind of follow what's been done already, um, which is what we, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm constantly trying to do here for, for Peter Doe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, so after three years, uh, and so did you feel, did you live at the same time, like Phoebe left or did you leave before? No, I think I left and then Phoebe had like two more years and then she left as well, I think. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I remember, yeah, no, I already, I already left. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and you went back to New York. Yeah. I went back to New York. Um, I left Celine because I was feeling, I mean, like I was so alone and I was so mm -hmm. young and there was, we were working a lot and I really missed my family and my friends. And I didn't have that sort of support when I was there. So um, after a while, I realized that I need all of that besides, you know, just like working like 24 seven <laughs> that, you know, I also like sure. want to like, hang out with my friends and I was missing my family and I haven't seen them in so long, things like that. Um, and, you know, as I looked around in the company, um, you know, I saw, I was looking at what my boss was doing and I was like, okay, if I stay here and, you know, I climb this, like this ladder, right. This like French house ladder and maybe I'll mm -hmm. become like a director of a house in a few years. And then maybe in a few more years, I'll become like another director of like another house. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was just too long. <laughs> I wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was just like taking too long. And I wanted, like I had so much that I wanted to say, not just making mm -hmm. clothes, but the whole visuals of it, the marketing side, the sales side, and reproduction side, and how things are supposed to be made. And so I just wanted to also, find ways to express all of that. Um, and I, I was so burnt out <laughs> from working so much. Yeah. Cause when, when you like, you know, alone and you're like singles and you just put your 100% into your work and which is what I did right. when I was there. Um, so when I left Celine, I sort of like, Oh, maybe I don't want to work in fashion anymore. <laughs> I just want to go back oh, to really? the old. Yeah. I had a moment where I was okay. like, I was like, maybe this is not for me, you know, like maybe it's like, because I was already at the one of the top, top places in the, sure, sure. 
I felt like I'm always, I was already at the top of the top. And mm-hmm. if I wasn't happy, then maybe this is not what I was meant to be doing. Right. Um, so I wanted to leave to also sort of like refresh and see if I miss it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I'm back to New York, I took sort of like a six months break where I was just, you know, like reconnected with my friends and I was doing a lot of projects. Um, you know, there was one with Zaha did that I did. There's like a few gallery mm-hmm. projects I worked on, some photography work, just like trying mm-hmm. different things to see, um, you know, to see if I missed like making clothes. Right. Like and I did. <laughs> and I did miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Evidently. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And and then how did you, what was the next decision? And so we're talking about what, like 2017, 2018, 20. Yeah, I think it's always at the end. Yeah, early 2017, the end of 2016. Okay, and 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 then you thought like, what's next? Am I gonna go somewhere else, or am I starting my own line? So was, my, there, was there even a debate or were you like, I'm doing my own thing? No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I was very intimidated about starting a brand. And I, I mean, I, I thought about it for, for a long time um, since school, but I know that how much work it takes, you know, to build a brand and it's not, it's not easy. So I've always been a bit hesitant because for me, I'm not like a logical person. I'm not good with money. I'm not good with, you know, things like that. I know that I, I know that I'm good at making clothes, and I'm good on the creative side. So it was also it was always important for me to not do this alone because I know that I can't do right. it. Um, I tried to like do start a brand by myself when I was in school, and that was a it was a huge headache. <laughs> um, yeah, so I know I, I know I didn't want to do it alone. But so at the time, after six months, you know, so I, I need to get back into work. So I started working at Derek Lam. Okay. Um, so that's sort of, that was like my day job. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like now I'm getting paid more. I have time, things like that. But it was, but after one year, I was still pretty unhappy. Because um, mm-hmm. then I saw missing this, like, this adrenaline of like doing the shows and like all of that stuff that right. kind of comes with that's make it um, like I miss all of that that even the drama and the, the stress and all of those things <laughs> I, I was I started missing all of that stuff um, so in the weekend me and four of my good friends um, we started to to build Peter Doe you know in my bedroom in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So we will go vintage shopping. We will have fittings in my room. We will start designing the logo together. We will start doing like the packaging and sort of like the whole visual idea of it and sort of like Googling like how to make a business plan. (laughs) 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 You know, we we were literally a bunch of kids. Like we had no Mm -hmm. idea, you know, we we sort of had an idea, um, but we were also naive, which was what make it easy to do it right. because we, was, we were so brave. We didn't know there was nothing that was holding us back, you know? Mm-hmm. 
um, there was nothing to lose, honestly. Right. So yeah. is yeah. That's cool. So, so you make your first collection, and uh, where do you, where did you present it? So our first collections, um, we actually started out with direct to consumer, because okay. at the time I we look at the fashion system and that it takes six months to make collections, right? And then it takes another, and then the buyer would buy it. And it takes six more months for us to produce it and then ship to the store. That means that the customer had to wait like a year or more, right? To get the product. So for me, that that was too slow. Again, I'm again, I'm like pretty impatient. <laughs> I want the people mm -hmm. to wear the product now. So <laughs> now. Yeah. now I wanted people to to experience the product first before they see all these like amazing clothes and that they can't, you know, like buy it. So I wanted mm -hmm. to focus on like a series of like a sort of like a capsule of like objects that people can immediately kind of associate with the brand. Um, mm -hmm. So we started making a few t-shirts. We made um, some jewelries, I think one bag, things like that, one suit. Um, and then we uploaded on Shopify and launched the e-com site. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that was a huge success. We sold a lot of inventory. Uh, it sort of like paid the rent. Um, to be honest, mm -hmm. for for a while. Um, meanwhile, people didn't know that we were still doing like a ready ready to wear collection. So in the meantime, at the same time, we were working on the collection as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you attribute? What do you attribute your early success to? Because I imagine you know there are like ten thousand brands who are on Instagram, who are on DTC, etc. You have a really huge instagram following it's like at half a million already uh, was there any blueprint did it happen organically like was there some marketing uh that just worked um because i remember like even already like i want to say like three years ago maybe people were talking about it um, and it was like, you know, Peter Doe, uh, Celine Allen, you know, his online, uh, he, it's like big Instagram following, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it kind of, it felt for me like it kind of came out of nowhere and fast. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like, yeah, I think, I think that's what it feels like for us too, that we sort of like kind of like came out of nowhere. But I think for me, the, there's, there's a few things that, and it's always weird, right, to talk about why your brand is successful because <laughs> I feel like I never. I, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's like interesting when other people. I always feel like it's like interesting when someone like like when you kind of analyze it and then you sort of like tell me why it works. But mm -hmm. when when you have to speak about it, I always feel it's a bit strange speaking about why. Sure, like sure. what do we do? So for me, it's always like I want to think back. I think there's a few elements that makes it interesting. I feel at the time mm -hmm. because um, we all met on Tumblr, you know, a lot of our, our team mm -hmm. member, like I met my, you know, like my business partner, Vincent on Tumblr, like he just emailed, like he just like DM me and like messaged me on Tumblr um, about like my thesis collection. I met my, my art director now on, on Tumblr. And then 
Jessica on Facebook. So we have this sort of like, we were finding the people of like like-minded people on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, we take it into like a physical space. But I was building sort of like a Tumblr following because I was on there okay. since I was 19 years old. Sort of like blogging, kind of documenting my process. And at that time, right, oh, in okay. school, you weren't required to do that. I feel like now people require you to like post on Instagram, make TikTok and all of that. But mm-hmm. at the time when I was in, in school and in FIT, that was like my outlet to sort of like document everything. Like research, fabric, um, draping, photography, fittings, all of that stuff. So like what you see on the Peter Doe brand account at the beginning was sort of like the same thing. It's always been mm-hmm. about sharing the process, um, mm-hmm. you know, and being more transparent of like how things are made and stuff like that. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that was when, when, so when I started the Instagram, a lot of the people that follow me on Tumblr also migrate over um, i see I yeah see. Mm-hmm. it's kind of i find it's really interesting the transparency to me is a very interesting bit about how fashion has been developing which is kind of parallel to our society because before guarding your work process was your number one secret like you never told anyone like it was yeah. supposed to be like magic uh coming <laughs> out of ether <laughs> so i think it's really cool that you were doing that yeah i i, I think for me the process the most interesting part so i always it's like the part what i felt like i can talk about for hours you know so that was mm-hmm. something that I'm all, I was always sort of like open to talk about um, and like share, sharing the, like sharing all of that was like, it just came so naturally because I loved doing it. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. for like, for money. I wasn't, I wasn't like making a vlog to be like an influencer or things like that. It was just like purely just sharing, you know, like my process and like what I was doing and what I was seeing, what I was thinking and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the process a bit and your design language, because I mean that is the juice of the thing, right? <laughs> like that—that—that's what you—that's what you do it for, right? Like this is, and I feel like for you, this is where your real element is. Yeah. So can you know? Let's let let's talk about your design language and your process a bit. How do you see? How how have you developed it? you how how is your how do you go through the process and what does it mean to you i mean for me it's it changes a lot on the process because um i don't know i'm like i'm a very physical and also an emotional designer like i felt like there's very little logic <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. in the things that that I do and a lot of the things come from this urgent urgent sense of like to create like to make something mm-hmm. like ideas just mm-hmm. comes it comes from like all different areas like I could be sitting here talking to you and I would look at something and this would be like a thought that would come to to me about like certain things um, or I could be like sitting on the train or walking around. I know it's like so vague, 
but it really does happen mm-hmm. like that. Um, uh, because for me, the, the the bottom line, so weird saying bottom line. It's like it's like weird when you become like a business owner and you start talking like that. <laughs> your language, your language changes. Oh, I know that story well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your language and changes. And then so, suddenly you talk about the bottom lines and things like that. And sometimes yeah. I have to catch myself because it's sometimes it's 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 strange. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what are we talking about? So, so yeah, so like the, the end uh, goals for me is to make beautiful product that has, you know, like a function. Like they have, like you have given to wear it. If you cannot wear the product, I'm not interested. Like I'm not like mm-hmm. a fantasy designer. Um, right. Uh, I I like I like product. So for me, mm-hmm. like there's that fine line between making a product that, like again, that's you know something that's familiar enough that you that doesn't alienate you, but mm-hmm. new enough that you would like that you feel like you want to to buy it, or that's like is create desire in a way. Um, mm-hmm. So. I don't know. That's like that's sort of like the whatever I do. That's sort of like the main things. I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have like a specific woman or things like that in mind when I design. Also, there's just like it came from different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's a very intuitive from the ground up kind of process. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. usually start with. I mean, start with like, um, I like to start the collection with like fabric. I think that's like what okay. I usually start with. Um, mm-hmm. And then a lot of things are based from either pre-existing clothes. You know, we do a lot of like vintage, but not in a way where you trace the vintage. Like we usually try mm-hmm. it on and then we chop it. Like we cut it mm-hmm. or we... It's like surgery. Like we open the lining, mm-hmm. we dissect it, we look at the sleeve, we look at the inside, uh, we patch things together, um, mm-hmm. but never in sort of like a comme des garçons kind of ray deconstructed kind of way because that's because right. for me like that process sort of like lead me to other things. It's not meant mm-hmm. to for it to look like that in in sort of ways. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not yeah. like a Margiela thing, also, where you deconstruct it, but it leads you to creating things that are new and yeah. your own. Yeah. Um, uh, but it seems to be that, like, what comes out of it is a very actually, in terms of visual language, is a very clear proposition. Um, in terms of what you like, but but it sounds what I'm trying to say is actually it's not dictatorial, like, oh, this is how I see a woman dress, but mm-hmm. more like this is how this is how garments come into being, and that's how they work together, and that's how a wardrobe gets built and a collection created. Yeah, I think I think I like to propose like more like I like to propose garment or like a way of wearing something or showing people a different way to like rewear something, but it's never mm-hmm. dictating that you should wear things exactly like this. 
So which is why a lot of the garment that I'm interested in, you know, you can take it apart, you can wear it inside out, you can layer them. Like, you know, like we have this thing that we've been doing since the beginning called like a three-piece, four-piece suit that you can dissect and wear, you know, in diff- all together or just like piece and bits of it in the same fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I like that you get to choose like how you get dressed, I guess. Like the dialogue between like the the woman and her wardrobe and that, that, that people are not, you know, one dimensional and that you can be mm-hmm. many things in the same day and that your clothes allow you or adapt and change with you and allow you to express different sides of you. Um, for me, that's mm-hmm. like interesting. Like I'm not, I'm not like interested in just like a singular look, a silhouette that you have. You have to sort of like, like this season we're doing long skirt, or next season we're doing this, and that's like not like that mm-hmm. doesn't interest me so much. Yeah. 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 No, I I can see that in the clothes there is a it can. It's, it's a very aesthetically uh, clear proposition. And you can do that. You can do head to toe Peter Doe. But at the same time, you can take it apart and do it in completely your own way and mm-hmm. mix it with, with other things. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, yeah, there, there is an attraction to that way of dressing. And I also especially saw that when I saw your uh, Woolmark collection where... It was like, I don't know, what did you say? Was it like 20 pieces, but it ended up with like 300 looks or something? And I thought, I did not know you could do that. With, with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was fascinating to see that because it, it, it was all black. It, it was a kind of a uniform, but within the way you could put the uniform together almost seemed nearly infinite. Yeah, I think, I think like... I like choices, I guess. <laughs> but the, the, the collection mm-hmm. is called 365. Um, mm-hmm. It sort of became, we did the collection for Walmart, um, but now I'm doing, now we're doing it for our core collections in a way where mm-hmm. it's sort of like a nod to New York, where everything's in black, like how we all dress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's 22 pieces that's comprised of like a layer of knitwear. Uh, and then tailoring, and they all make out of one fabric and one yarn. Okay. Yeah, so the yarn, they both, they're all made out of the merino wool. It's like a fine merino mm-hmm. yarn, and then the fabric is like a fine merino wool, it's like suiting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's, it's like sweaters, like sleeve, pants, uh, shirt, trench coat, blazer, things like that that you can mix and match. Mm-hmm. And we spent two days styling like with different combination. And I think we got to almost 400 looks That's amazing. from the 22 pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. When you told me the first time, I was like, wait, this is hard to compute in my head. <laughs> but then I saw, you know, I, I saw the looks and I said, oh, this is really cool. And in a way, kind of, for a uniform dresser, it, it, such as myself, like it's almost perfect. So it's like you don't have to think too much. Yeah, you just know you can combine these twenty-two pieces and just come up with a really large variety of, of looks. 
Yeah, I think that's yeah. always how we <clears throat> approach designs at PD as well, is that um, because I'm like an outfit repeater, like I, I love wearing the same thing over and over again, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's how I shop. I buy things I really love, and I wear it to death. I'm not... Mm-hmm. So that these collections, I would... For... To design sort of like a base that you can rely on, but it gives you the ability to like change it up. You know, so you yeah, you never yeah. feel like you're wearing the same thing. You know, a lot of right. sweaters, right. like the, the sleeve comes off and the neckline comes off. And even though mm-hmm. it's 22 piece, some of the pieces in that collection made out of like three, four different components. Uh, I see, I see. Yeah, so like you can like take them apart. So you can just wear yeah. them all year round by just removing part of the garment and then layer mm-hmm. things on top of each other. I mean, the the moment you introduce like a white into it, because we have one white shirt and all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like a whole new combination um, <laughs> right. with just a white shirt. So every time you add a new piece, it's sort of like unlock, like, like endless mm-hmm. possibility and combination. So that's something yeah. that we, we're really excited to do for, we're actually doing like a, like an in physical experience by the end of the year for that collection. So I'll keep you posted oh, on cool. that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Put come and play with Peter's clothes. I love yeah. that. <laughs> come come uh, try it on. Spe- speaking of which, I mean, you wear your own stuff all the time. I mean, like, do you test drive a lot? Yeah. Uh, like, I test tie a lot of products that... Actually, a lot of the product. Maybe not the dresses, <laughs> but like... Right. The, but... Things like that. Um, I test try a lot of the shoes, a lot of the bags, and we. I usually wear them for a while, and it went through like sort of the development process before we we show them. So, mm-hmm. not yeah. with every single thing, and, but there are a lot of things I do test test it myself. Yeah, yeah. No, and 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 a lot of a lot of things just work for both sexes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when now I was looking at your clothes uh, at your showroom at one time, and it was like that was very clear to me. And of course, especially from also from your Instagram, just like seeing how you wear it, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And it's like I, and you don't even advertise it, but there is this which I actually appreciate. <laughs> you don't scream it at the top of your lungs. We're we're gender neutral, but but it is but it is there, absolutely. Um and I think it's cool. There's like this element of discovery that can be made without you like pushing people to it actively. Yeah, without I guess sort of like labeling it. Um mm-hmm. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and so then you decided to launch, to launch like a proper collection, right? And, um, when was your first collection? Uh, spring, summer 19. So we, yeah, so we showed that it was during the summer of 2018. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the world fell apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, how did you how did you pull through um, pandemic through the pandemic? I mean, we we're still here. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah. Uh, yeah, no, been it's been it's been a it's been a difficult. I mean, the past almost three years, you know, for everybody else. But 
um, as a small brand, you know, like there was there was a time where I would wake up every day with like emails of like stores cancellations and you know our factories mm-hmm. shutting down and um, you know we had to pay the teams and yeah, I mean there's all all the things the supplies supply chain issues and shipping issues and production things and yeah there was there was a lot of that at the beginning um it was i don't know i don't i feel like i feel like now people are talking about being more transparent about running a business because it's it's a whole nother things on top of designing collections because for me i like to be involved in the design process like i'm not like a creative director who just like delegate tasks to people and then I walk away. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not right, right. how I, you know, if there's a day, if I just do that, I don't know if I, I don't know if this job is for me, you know, I like yeah. to design product. I like to make things. I like to have to work with people. So sometimes like the title creative directing does bug me a little bit <laughs> mm-hmm. because that's yeah, like yeah. not exactly what I'm doing all the time. Right. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was just like really, really hard. It was really difficult to, mm-hmm. um, to get through it. And I'm, I'm glad that we ended up in a different state, but we, the company changes like three times <laughs> during those three years. Wow. Because every time we like find new solutions, something else happened. Every time we move yeah. the factories here, they close down or, you know, shipping's got delayed and then. You know, our shoe factories got COVID and everything's things like that. Like every every month, there's like a new challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I I did not mean to jump ahead. Uh, I did want to talk about your your first collection, and if I remember correctly, like did you take that to Paris, and uh, like how was the reception to the first collection? Yeah, we took the collection to Paris. I mean, we again we were really naive and. We had no confirmed appointments. I think we had Barney's. That was our that was our only appointment <laughs> that we were confirmed. Wow. But we we okay. got that appointment because my business partner Vincent was friend with uh, one of the buyers there. It wasn't we didn't got okay. the appointment because we were we were good. <laughs> or they know who we are. Right, right, right. Probably because of your call called, right? Yeah. yeah. This is what I keep telling people how important connections are. And how if this is actually not a very big industry. It's big, but it's not that big. And so no. much relies on it's, personal connections. It's small. Everyone knows like everybody, right? Um, no, yeah, we we have one confirmed appointment, which is Barney's. Um, and then I think we the first cluster was really big. It was a hundred it was like a hundred and fifty pieces. Wow. Because at the time, you know, I there was there was my first collections that I did on my own for not for like a brand. It was like a you know, it was it was a personal collection. So I was still trying to see like where we were. Like I was sort of like doing mm-hmm. everything that I love in one collections. Cause there was like print, there was tailoring, there was evening, there was color. It was it was a lot. I mean, even though I loved it, it was a lot of ideas and I didn't have that confidence to edit. You know, there was no mm-hmm, customer mm-hmm. yet. I didn't know who's going to buy the collection. There was no store confirmed. 
there was just there was we didn't know anything about anything so for me i was sort of like trying to express myself so this is all i can do and see Mm -hmm. where it sticks you know um so that was a thinking behind the first collections where like you know it was really hard for me to edit and as time goes on i have you know we have customer i gain more confidence i have i'm like better at like making collections better at like editing because now this is like my mm-hmm. my nine ten collection now, so mm-hmm. and I do think it's like a skill. You know, it's a skill to able to like oh, yeah. edit down to exactly oh, yeah. what you want to say, right? Um, because for me, that's like now for me, that's important. It's important to just really say the right things, and when you believe in something, that's the message, and then you don't mm-hmm. want like a million different ideas to crowd and to like distract you from like what you wanted to say. Um, so, mm-hmm. so now, so every question gets smaller and smaller since, because mm-hmm. I, I'm getting better and better at, at, at editing yeah. the collection. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It's such an important point actually. And, and I think it's a great point to make, uh, because it is a skill and also you editing your own work, right? Which is hard. Mm-hmm. Because you have to <laughs> say, okay, I made this and I'm proud of it, but it's just not working. I I have a similar feeling in my in my writing process where I feel like oh, this is such an amazing sentence. Why do I have to take it out? <laughs> but I have to take it out, and that's uh, that's what you know. That's where editors come in too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I understand that. And so, but the but Barney's did did come and did they buy it um they placed an order but you know there was a there was a whole thing about like exclusivities and things like that and um we let's just say that we went with a different partner who okay placed a bigger orders (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. didn't kind of lock us in this like exclusivity that i didn't want to be a part of um yeah, um, but Barney's was notorious for that. That was like one yeah. thing about Barney's. Like they tried to keep everyone exclusive. And yeah. at the end of the day, it didn't work for a lot of... When they went down, a lot of brands suffered because yeah, of it that. Yeah, it didn't work for us because I, I still wanted to be, at, uh, to be at smaller stores around the world. I just didn't want to be, you know... We just worked too hard to be at like one store. And I just didn't... Sure. I just didn't agree to that. I think the world... I think there's a there's enough space for everybody for the first season. Absolutely, I, I didn't really believe in that concept of like you can only shop at one place. Um, yeah, but I, I but I understand where the store is coming from from their perspective. Yeah, yeah. When they of bring course. in a new brand as well, so I, I do understand yeah, yeah. that. Uh, but no, yeah, so yeah. that's our first season. We we went to Paris um, with no appointment. The reason why it worked. Uh, we started posting on Instagram actually because I sent out the collection to all the stores and no one got back to me. <laughs> I remember like emailing right. the lookbook. <laughs> I remember yeah. like emailing the lookbook that we did with all the flat line sheet to like every store that I want to be mm-hmm. in. Every single store. Mm-hmm. Um, and every single publication. We didn't have like PR at the time. We were doing our own PR. So... You know, I want to be in Vogue Runway. 
and I didn't know how to get there. So we're just emailing like lookbook to like random editors. <laughs> we were mailing lookbooks to you know every single publication just to see who would get back to us, and like no one mm-hmm. did. <laughs> like no one did. <laughs> Um, but then when the collection comes out, I start posting. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna post on Instagram because we have a huge following, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this is like this is the audience, and we cater to them. So why are we like you know seeking out all these people to tell our story? We could just do it right. ourselves. So we started posting yeah. our lookbook on on Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. on our on our own terms. Um, so that's what we did. Yeah, cool. Cool, cool, cool. And, and that sort of, do you feel like that propelled the brand? Yeah, I think that, I think a lot of people start seeing it and, you know, sharing it. It was all over Tumblr. It was all over Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Um, the collection sort of like exploded in that sense of like people sharing um, mm-hmm. among mm-hmm. each other. There's a lot of people that follow the brand start sending the pictures to their friend who are buyers so Double Shift Market, Ginza, um, DM me, and they want to come by the showroom. So they were mm-hmm. out, there was actually our first store that contacted me to Instagram, and then they show up. Um, <laughs> and, That's cool. And they still buy the collection. I, I love them. I mean, I love that store. It's one of my favorite yeah. stores. Uh, it's yeah, yeah, definitely it's the best store. Dover Street <laughs> in all the Dover Street, the Ginza one. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they, and then you know how like Dover Street have every morning they have that meetings where they have like they discuss like what's happening with the other branches. So I think they start sharing our lookbook to the other Dover Street, and then from there people mm-hmm. start sharing the lookbook to their other bio friends, and I people see. start coming to the showroom that week. It literally do okay. like words like words of mouth and Instagram, yeah, mostly, yeah, which is yeah. the best. You know, which which is the best. You can you can never replace that. It's it's the strongest. Uh, and then I feel I I don't know. Did you feel that because like how how I came to your brand? Uh, it's obviously through my wife, through Allah, because <laughs> um, she was like, "Do you know this brand?" And I'm like, "No." Um, uh, and there was this narrative, you know, when when. Phoebe left Celine, there was this there was this end of an era feeling and a lot of a lot of fashion women in mourning, you know, a lot of this like end of an era feeling. And I mean, including myself, I, I thought, okay, but like this is the end. And then there was a narrative of like uh Celine Allums. Uh, starting their own thing or going somewhere else. And that was the narrative that I heard about you. you know, there's like, oh, there's this designer, Peter Doe. He worked with Celine and now he has a new brand. And, uh, you know, and you can see uh, the influence in the brand. And maybe that is the thing for these women to wear now. Did, did, did that narrative reach you as well? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was, <laughs> there was a time when I was really, I was trying to get away from the narrative because I was, mm-hmm. I I didn't think it was fair for my team, you know, who has nothing to do with Celine, 
who mm-hmm. could, that was like my own personal experience, right? And then here we mm-hmm. are, a bunch of kids was like making things together, doing the work together um, as a family. And for me, that was just wasn't a fair representation of what we were doing, even mm-hmm. though there may be some overlap influence because, I mean, I came from that school. So mm-hmm. there are things that I do here that I did at Celine. There are mm-hmm. certain things, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, because no one can replace Phoebe Philo as Celine, right? So I think there was a time where people were just like sort of in mourning and they were just looking for like a replacement. Um, mm-hmm. There was a whole narrative about that. Like, wh- like where are we going to shop now? As if, right, right. Yes, yeah. As if that was like an issue. I don't know. People was like, people was like, come to me, like you know, like where, where are we gonna shop? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I had, the, yeah. And then I was I like, had the conversation too, too. It was like because my wife was like, there was the slew of narratives of, of articles, like where does where do strong independent women go shopping now? And my wife was like, well, if they're strong and independent, they'll probably decide for themselves. And you don't need to keep writing about it. <laughs> like, I, I think, I think, I think you're fine. If you like to shop, you'll find a place to shop. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So for me, that was like an interesting point where it's like, I, I wasn't aware that that was the biggest concern <laughs> of like, mm-hmm. where, where are people going to shop next? Um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I feel like with her coming back and with, you know, like the stories that I'm telling now, I'm just happy that that narrative, it's not like that anymore. That that's, let's, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. <laughs> it's like, that's sure. just like, that was okay. just like a, like a weird face, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for Phoebe to come back and, you know, to tell her stories and I'm excited for us to also evolve and and talk to tell our stories in a way that you know that has that's like two different things yeah mm-hmm. yeah when what i what attracted me to your brand uh when i started looking at was it was such a sophisticated adult way to dress and the fact that this was happening in new york that is so inundated uh, with sportswear and the sort of bland chic <laughs> that I call it. Um, and that, that's what attracted me. And I thought, oh, finally, after quite a long spell, we have something in New York that is a strong proposition that has a level of sophistication on par with the best European houses and a clear design language. And that's what's been very exciting for me, uh, especially because like quite a few brands, American brands that sort of also developed that language previously, like, you know, like Tom Brown, Proenza at the time, like they left, they started showing in Paris and it really felt like a void and and I still feel like there is a big void in New York and there's not unfortunately there's not a lot to get excited about 
Uh, so that's for me, it was like, oh, finally, like I can talk about my hometown and, and, and be proud of something and see that like really interesting things are happening here. Um, yeah, thank you, Eugene. I think we sure, no. we just want to, I mean, I think a lot of us at, at PD is like, we are really passionate about making clothes. Um, and especially to me, I think that's that's still the reason why I'm in the industry, I feel, you know, I feel like I'm always sort of like, always going to advocate for the apparel side of things, the, mm-hmm. the making of the clothes. And because honestly, before I know about fashion with a capital F, which I mm-hmm. still don't know, I feel like, I don't know if I know much about it. So um, there's still like the, there's the apparel side of things that what keeps me going, you know, um, like my favorite time is still now, now that we are produced in Italy, to like visit the factories and kind of like see where things are made and um, finding solutions together and designing things together, collaborating with people who have done this for like ge- literally generations, um, mm-hmm. like still get like gets me like really excited to you know to like to to create, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like for us that's what we felt like when we started doing this in New York as well, that we were caring about things that people didn't care about. And it suddenly has become, um, because it wasn't a norm here to, I think when we first started, I was at the factories and we were just like, Hey, can you press the jacket this way? Or can mm-hmm. you redo the top stitch? Can you add fusible here? Can you remake this? This is like, this is how, I like this to be made. This is like how, this is the fabric, and there was a there was a there was a lot of babysitting in the mm-hmm. in New York garment district because people weren't used to that kind of quality. Yeah, um, yeah. of like finishes and garment making, and I think that for me that was like um, there was like there's like pros and cons between producing here and producing in Italy. But at the beginning, there was a lot of of babysitting and things like that because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of brands in New York that make clothes at the way that we make clothes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have you, you know, have you found the New York fashion industry, uh, su- have you found support within the New York fashion industry as a, as a, as an upcoming brand? Of course you need support. Have you found the New York fashion industry supportive or has it been difficult? I mean, I think it's, I think it's still, it's still, it's, I don't know if there's like a direct things that we, that came from, from that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking right now, but we, you know, like we're on the calendar. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We yeah, on, we on but the that's not much. Yeah, I, the reason the I ask is that yeah, yeah, the reason I ask is I you know I've heard from a few brands that yeah we have CFDA but they're not of much help, not of much use, um, which is a shame, I think. I feel like we always been, I don't know. I've been we've been like really far away too. I mean, we decided to put the company in like Sunset Park which is like all the way, mm-hmm. like no one, no one wants to yeah. go to Sunset Park, you know, even like at the <laughs> beginning where we start sh- like showing collection to Vogue and they're like, where is that? And then we had to like bring our clothes to like the Vogue office and stuff like that. 
um, mm-hmm. there's like you know, people have been telling us that we're too far away for them to come, and mm-hmm. I say don't come. <laughs> so, right. Because for me, that's like you know. So for me, that's like there's are silly things like that, uh, in certain comments and things like that that I find really silly, um, because it's really you don't have to be in Manhattan to to be a functioning I don't know like fashion brand in the in New York. So for for us, it's always been doing things that works for us, um, and like not rely on people so much. For mm-hmm. like the next step, things like that. Um, so we always had try mm-hmm. had to like finding finding ways to do things our own way, uh, whatever that is. So sometimes it's like what people do. Sometimes it's sometimes it's not. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I feel like there's a lot of misconception out there uh, between the popularity of a brand. And the actual nuts and bolts of the business, uh, and I don't know if you find yourself in this predicament where you like great, like we have the reputation, people know about us, people are aware, uh, people want to buy our clothes. Yet we're still a very small company, and it's not all like uh, you know uh, beds of roses. <laughs> and like what what are the challenges that that you're facing now at this point of the brand's development um yeah but i think i think you're right i think there's always because a lot of time we get compared to you know all the french houses and all this big company with like hundreds of employees and we still have you know, we have 11 people still. <laughs> it's been five years mm-hmm. and still the same people, you know, doing the same mm-hmm. things. And the work just double and triple all the time. Um, we just have to find a way to adapt and, and grow. And uh, and that has always been really difficult uh, for me. But it's also it's also good, right? <laughs> That's like people are putting us next to this, this huge, huge company. Um, but at the same time, sometimes people forget that it's just 11 of us. In mm-hmm. our studio in Brooklyn, uh, trying to make it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's yeah. always it's always weird to like be in the position and like, had to explain that and uh, had to tell you know that the stores, the buyers, and the press that we're still very 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 small and mm-hmm. we are trying to grow in an organic way, you know, so that we can be here for a long time. Because I don't want to just sort of like keep growing and then crash because we're also at the five years point now where um, it's becoming more and more difficult to sort of like sustain. So we have to, every season, we have to cap the sale at certain numbers, right? Because beyond that, there's, they don't have enough resources to produce the, the garment. So that's still like mm-hmm. something that we are very mindful about. Um, but also at the company's growth, there's a lot of like changes and structurally things that we're trying to reassess internally. Um, and, you know, like, I feel like every, every small company go through this. Like you, you get to a certain point and then you need, you need help. You need more support. Um, 
we we started the brand when we all a bunch of kids in our twenties, and now mm-hmm. we all turn we all turn thirties, <laughs> and we yeah. and then now you know like it's harder and harder to like, um, not get paid right, <laughs> and work right. in the weekends oh, and yeah. not have a life outside of work. Like our priorities also change, and we also. You know, we started out as, as friends, and now our friendship also has turned into something else and evolved, and mm-hmm. it's just different. You know, is because we yeah. see each other every week. We went through a lot of hard things together, um, mm-hmm. also. So everything changed. Everything changed the past five years uh, in yeah. terms of relationship, in terms of company structures, and things uh, continue to change and. I honestly don't have all the answers, and every day I'm just trying to take take it slowly, one thing at a time, and um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I, so I it's like a very vague of... answer, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand. I just I think a lot of people will be surprised to find out that you don't live in a huge Soho loft and being <laughs> chauffeured in a limousine while eating black caviar. That. Uh, <laughs> It, that you actually take the train to work <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, with my with my dog in a bag yeah with your dog with, yeah yeah with uni yeah with uh, uni. The awesome uni <laughs> yeah. um but i think it's good to for, for people to know that this is actually that this is hard work and it, it may be rewarding in other ways than monetary even if you are a hot brand there's that and then the realities of the of the business and of running it and uh, and of being careful with everything yeah and, i and think and that's I, where i think yeah go ahead sorry you should go ahead no no, no sorry. i just feel like that's where a lot of disconnect is often for people who are on the outside looking in um so ideally where would you like where would you like to take the brand in which direction uh, in the future? What else would you like to do? Um, how would you like to grow? Where would you like to go? What would you like to be? Like, what do you see, you know, in the future besides making a ton of money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, so you can pay for fabrics. <laughs> <laughs> so I can, so I can pay people. Um, the, I mean, I, my ultimate goal is to be, you know, financially free and creatively fulfilled. That's sort of like what, you know, like not, I mean, making tons of money sounds great, but I think there's certain, after a certain amount, I don't think it make a difference. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, for, so for me, it's like, you know, like my dream is always just have to build an atelier, um, in New York where like the one that I experienced at Celine, you know, the highest level of craft that mm-hmm. people can come and learn about garment making, uh, that people are proud to go to work and to be a pattern maker, a technicians and a see like, a you know, there's the technical designer, whatever that may be a cutter. I just feel like there isn't a place like that for New York. And I, I want to create that space here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I just feel like those those jobs are such blue collar jobs 
for for New York and it would be so great to have a space where maybe you don't want to go to school and you just want to have like real working experience and that could be a place that you can do that um mm-hmm. you know where you can you know learn the trades and uh mm-hmm. because not everyone's because I feel like I that's a thing I don't think that there are other possibilities out there like not everyone needs to be a creative directors or a designers to be involved in the industry and to be involved in the process because I just mm-hmm. feel like you know my pattern makers have as much say as me in the creation of the shirt and the, and you know there's there's other parts there's other moving part that's not just one mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. so having like how would be nice yeah 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 no, i think that's great because uh, like we said before these are the unsung heroes of fashion right it's because really so many times it's the people who are in the news that get all the credit but the the clothes are made by people they're not made by robots you know they they they're inevitably made by hand and they're real people on the other side of that yeah there's just like so many parts involved in building a brand, you know, that's we don't talk about. Like I don't, you know, I don't price all the garment myself and I don't know much, you know, I'm not involved in like the logistics and the shippings and the, the things of it. And there's just so many parts that my teams are doing that just as important at the design, the collections, because you can design like the best collection. And then if you don't know all of that, the other part afterward, and then what is the point, right? Like people never get mm-hmm. to wear it and it would need to get sold. And there's just a whole nother part outside of just that, which is why, you know, at the company, when we divide it by five of us, each of us take on a different area. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what makes PD so great is that it's not just... Yeah. There's this like illusion that I'm just sitting here by myself doing all of that by myself. <laughs> but yeah. I'm like, I'm like making the clothes and I'm, I'm also like bringing the clothes myself and I'm selling it and I'm shipping it and I'm packing it and I'm producing it. Like that's just not true. <laughs> and that's not true yeah. with any, any brands out there. Um, yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, to have a house in New York would be, would be amazing. Um, I would love to, like, you know, it was such a privilege to just kind of, like, go to the atelier and get something made directly in your atelier, mm-hmm. um, you know, without, like, shipping tech pack back and forth, without getting on a Zoom call, <laughs> all of that stuff, just to, like, make something. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think I think that will be will be amazing, yeah. Yeah. And also to, I guess, part of it is just returning these skills that we have lost here, right? That's, that yeah. I, it's probably not easy to find a good pattern maker, a good seamstress, a good, a good tailor. Yeah, I mean, I struggle with it even with alterations. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because people it's... also, like, you go ahead. No, when we when we start like PD, it was really hard to find a tailoring factory in New York because they all they all disappear. Um, people don't wear suits anymore or tailoring, so a lot of the shops mm-hmm. are not around anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, I totally. I mean, I keep harping on about it, the, the way people dress, the very, the very disposable nature of our clothes, where you know people don't, people don't alter clothes, they don't fix clothes, and then they also wear now stuff that's made to be thrown out. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't resell sneakers; you just throw them out and buy another pair, right? Like the way you can. A leather shoe can last you forever if it's if you just take care mm-hmm. of it if it's well made. Same with tailoring; it lasts for a long time. You can tailor it to your figure how you want it to fit. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's a shame. Well, hopefully, there will be change for it. And I and I really feel like that's another thing that I love about Peter Doe Do is that you have that. You know, you make. You make clothes that, that that are made for that. You know, there's something. It's like bringing the old world into the new world and saying, "No, that it's it's a beautiful way to dress." And it feels like it's these are the clothes that care for you as well as you caring for the clothes, which is how I see my wardrobe. I feel like my clothes care for me too like they they make me look more handsome they protect me uh makes me feel good about myself and i in turn take care of the garments as well yeah i mean that's why i really you know i think it's just a mindset too just because when i grew up in vietnam you know when i was when i was young i i remember just having like five six item of clothing you know you have like yeah. one short one pan mm-hmm. and then yeah. you know yeah. like you you have like one school uniform like two shirts you, you wash one you wear the other one mm-hmm. and when something is like you know ripped or broken like my grandma would like teach me how to like patch or like re-sew like a button mm-hmm. and then when you grow up right you're you have like hand-me-down from your yeah. older cousins and uncles and yeah. I remember like listening to your podcast with Retro that you also talk about that, right? Yeah, like, I grew owning up the very same little. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so that mindset stays with me, you know? Like I really, I, when I buy something, it's like I, lo- I, I have to love it. Like I really seize mm-hmm. it in, in my life. Like, <laughs> I, like I want to wear it to death, like until, yeah. <laughs> until it's like literally fall mm-hmm. apart. I cannot fix anymore. Yeah. Then I will stop kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, every time yeah. I buy something, it's not like a a small decision that I just casually. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't go and casually shop. Like I'm not that kind of right, shopper. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. I mean, I mean, I'm the same way. I'm like, I don't know what it's like. Like, oh, let's go shopping. It's like, yeah. It's, it's either like I want something very specific, or there's mm-hmm. something missing. Or otherwise, you just go window shopping, right? Or like do do research and just look yeah. at clothes. You just look. You just look through stuff. But I think mm. that's like that. Uh, that that way. That upbringing really does stays with me, and um, that's just sort of like how I grew up. You know, like you just mm-hmm. that you don't need you don't need much. Um, yeah. And I think like for for PD as well is that that's why the editing process every season makes sense for me because. There's just like a few blazers or pants that we worked really hard on, and it's what we believe, and that's what you get. You know, you get that blazer, and it comes in like six different fabric. Um, mm-hmm. 
because you know the bio was like you know do you have a different shape do you have another blazer do you have another one of this and i was like i mean yeah we we have them but this you know we we can't just offer all these things at the same time because that just sort of like confusing because mm-hmm. when i believe in something you know like i just believe in that and that's sort of like yeah. my offering for the season um and forever really because i really do think of things like very non-season non-trend like thing which is why for mm-hmm. so long i didn't want to do print because i felt like mm-hmm. prints or like colors are so like specific to to the time that is in yeah that for sure for a while i just didn't want it to become like a like a stem of a time or like a moment in time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that these like specific prints would would do and yeah Oh, I yeah. totally agree. I I personally think that uh, trend forecasting agency. I think that all of them should go out of business. And I feel like <laughs> I, I wish they did not exist, uh, and and just did not uh, resolve in this uh, treadmill of just disposable stuff and induced obsolescence that fashion produces so much of it. And again, this is what I love about your work. It's a kind of a slow burn wardrobe proposition that you gradually build on. Uh, And I think just, I can't think of a better way to operate today because given where the state of the planet is and the state of our consumer society is. Well, this was great. Uh, is there anything else you would like to discuss? Um, I feel like we've talked a bunch. I mean, wherever you want. I mean, I can talk to you for hours, so <laughs> we can sit here. <laughs> all right, so, cool. I, I, wanna, I, I do want to. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I do want to talk about. Uh, and yeah, I agree. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, to, for listeners, this this is not our first meeting. Um, yeah. but it's great but it's great but it's the first one we, we are recording um but just for listeners uh i'd like to ask you a bit about like how much downtime do you have and what do you do in your downtime how you spend your time off and like what are you into in terms of culture stuff like that because i think it's also important i mean i'm, I'm just a very normal <laughs> average <laughs> kind of boring person outside of my job <laughs> i like i always say that like i i live to work so like when i'm not working sometimes i'm like what am i even doing you know i'm not like i'm not glamorizing hard work like i'm not that yeah. at all i leave, I, I leave at six <laughs> yeah. i don't work Good. in the weekend but um Good. i got to a point where i feel very balanced about my work life I think the pandemic really like sort of like shaped me into that as well. When you could you realize mm-hmm. there, there are, you know, my life is going by so fast because I just spend my every moment like working. Um, mm-hmm. So which is why I got a dog because I wanted a dog for so long, and I always like finding reason not to get one. Like oh I'm so busy I can't do it. I yeah. And I think like the pandemic was like kind of like you know what if not now then when right yeah. Um, yeah so I got a dog then a lot of my responsibility and a lot of my things shifted since mm-hmm. since I since I had 
like a dog. <laughs> you know, I had to go home yeah. at a certain time or she was like, she mm-hmm. needed to go out. I had to wake up at a certain time in the morning. So mm-hmm. my life outside of work is my dog. It's my dog. It's an uni life. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's truly become that. That's like, yeah. it became it became my personality trait. <laughs> a mm-hmm. dog owner. Like that, yeah, just yeah. all these things that I, I became after I got, um, after she's in my life. But mm-hmm. besides that, now I get that. Yeah, yeah. You have a dog too. I feel like you understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think it, it. I think it is great because it does regiment your day and in a mm-hmm. good way, and like it gets you out of the house and it switches your brain for a bit. Um, so now I agree. Yeah. So I think <laughs> now I agree. I think that's sort of like that's like outside of my work that's like my main that that, that i can think of um <laughs> that i don't i don't know i just i feel like i i do work a lot and it's something yeah. that I'm, I'm trying to balance out with mm-hmm. um with my downtime because it, it is important when you walk away to have some time to recharge um but you can just come back like better and fresher and you can be more efficient yeah. Uh, with with your job, I don't know. I mean, like we, could, I I watch a lot of movies. I go to the movies a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I love horror movies. That's like usually what I. I like things <laughs> that's like really really sad or really really scary. That's like my two. Mm-hmm. Either really sad show or that movie or really like really scary movies. Um, yeah, that's sort of like where. Yeah, I'm not like a huge music person. I have a few. Mm-hmm. When I discover a song, I just listen it to to over death. Like over. I'm like I'm like yeah. that kind of person, and people just like get sick of it and tell me to stop. Then I'll stop. But, <laughs> <laughs> do, but, do you play music at the studio? Well, we we moved to a new studio now, so now I have a door for the first time okay. in, like, in like five years I finally have a door to my office um, but like it's like a glass door so it's kind of help it's just sort of like a yeah. it's a symbol it's not really a door that like right, right. can steal yeah. but now I can be in silence if I want to in my room mm-hmm. and then everyone else can play music outside in the, in the area because before that I feel like that was the one thing that we always fight about it's like what kind of music are we gonna play in the studio? <laughs> yeah this is like if i had staff i would be like sorry y'all you're listening to what i'm playing because <laughs> i'm so particular so yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's, you no, have a door now exactly so i have a door now so i can have because when i work i like i really like um i like to work in silence i don't know for me it's like mm-hmm. very comforting to because i get so distracted with music because i start like listening to it and if i get if i get annoyed then like, i'll try to like change the song and find the right song i think so sometimes i feel like it's just when it's not mm. the right song it bugs me even more yeah um, yeah yeah but yeah who, work, who do you work with on the music for your shows i work with steph steph Shu. she's uh also, like our our model for two seasons, she opened the show two seasons in a row now. Yeah. Okay. okay. She's like, cool. uh, yeah, no, she's amazing. She she walked the show. She, she does the lookbook. 
and she also does the music. Um, oh, nice! So, a lot of the we are very lucky that we have a lot of like friends and collaborators who mm-hmm. really believe in in the projects and help us with a lot of things. You know that otherwise, I don't know. We can't really afford all of this stuff, right? Without the right. help and support of our very generous support of our friends and collaborators and family. Yeah. Cool. Well, listen, I can't think of a, of a better note to end on. I, I love the idea of the collaborative nature of, of your brand and how so many people are pitching in just because they believe it, uh, in it. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you, Peter, for thank coming you, on. Eugene. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Eugene. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Thank you for listening. <laughs>